Hi, everybody. Welcome to Saturday Night at the Movies, the podcast that celebrates current classic and cult films. I'm Steve Rubin. Here it's always Saturday night, and I'm pleased to welcome my guest tonight, Scott Tracy Griffin. He goes by Tracy. He's the author of Tarzan on Films, which was published by Titan Books, and Tarzan the Centennial Celebration, also from Titan, a 2013 Locus Award finalist for Best Art Book. He is ranked among the foremost authorities on novelist Edgar Rice Burroughs and his literary and film legacy. Tracy received his undergraduate degree in sociology from Millsaps College and his MBA from California State University, Los Angeles. Hi, Tracy. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. I'm honored to have such a recognized authority on the world of Tarzan and Burroughs. Um, before we get into that whole world, I, I always ask my guests um, the same question. What was the last movie you watched or saw or viewed? Uh, that's a good question. The last big screen experience was, uh, interestingly enough, Jungle Cruise from Disney. Oh, very good. And I saw that on uh, I saw that on the home uh, television. What'd you think? I liked it. Uh, ran a little long. They they crammed a lot into it, but uh, you know it's entertaining. A uh, good popcorn film, and I'm I'm sure I think what within two days they had announced there would be a sequel. So it seemed to be a, a, a big hit for <laughs> Disney. Well, I remember my first trip to Disneyland. I actually, we arrived from Chicago when I was four years old. And I I, um, I think Disneyland opened that June and I arrived in October. I think one of the first things I did in Southern California was go out to Disneyland. And of course, the Jungle Cruise was one of the first original rides at Disneyland. And I remember being in that jungle boat and I remember the the captain had that gun firing the blanks, and I remember the um, the rhinoceros uh, trying to get those native bears, and <laughs> a lot of that has changed over this. I think they've completely redone the ride at Disneyland now. It, it's a little bit more politically correct. Yes, from what I've heard. Uh, I went down there a couple of times around 2012, 2013, you know, when the Tarzan's Treehouse opened. And uh, I don't believe I've been back since then. I did the Treehouse and the Jungle Cruise and bought all the souvenirs, the the, the limited Tarzan souvenirs. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, definitely uh, the whole Adventureland is just a fun experience. Sure, sure. I'm I'm uh, movie wise. I'm just finishing up watching Summer Stock, which is a Judy Garland, Gene Kelly movie from 1950. And I DVR a lot of my films off of uh, Turner Classic Movies, and Ben Mankiewicz was giving us a, a fairly lengthy spiel on how badly Judy Garland was doing in those days, uh, coming from that pill-laden nature of hers. And unfortunately, uh, the way he described it, it was difficult for her to work. But you know, in the move, magic of movies, you watch a movie like Summer Stock, you have no idea anybody's having a bad time because it's pure fun. Yes. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you obviously got into film history. Uh, was that what you studied in school? No. You know, uh, going back a little further, I, I discovered Edgar Rice Burroughs when I was nine years old. And I read the first book, Tarzan of the Apes, and was captivated not just by the story, but I was fascinated about the man who wrote it. I wanted to know more about Edgar Rice Burroughs. 
So, you know, this was back in the mid, early to mid seventies. I was picking up all the paperbacks, the Neil Adams and the Boris Vallejo and the Mars books. And uh, so I was really a voracious reader as a kid. I read, you know, and I was reading other stuff, Doc Savage, Conan the Barbarian, uh, the various uh, Burroughs pastiches by Lynn Carter and others. And um, so I came at it from there and I, you know, I would see bits and pieces. Some of my earliest memories were bits and pieces of the Tarzan movies like Woody Strode and uh, Jock Mahoney battling over the pits of boiling oil. And um, then in the uh, Denny Miller, Tarzan the Ape Man, when they're trapped with the idol, you know, they're in the pit with the idol, the safari members. So I had the, and, and the Ron Ely series, I had these, you know, bits and pieces of Tarzan and I, I knew who Tarzan was by osmosis, I guess. But I really came at it from the literary end. And then in, in college, uh, you know, I was very busy extracurricularly. Um, playing sports and uh, you know doing theater and editing the yearbook and trying to cram all the experiences you could into a you know a small college experience. So uh, you know I got a degree in sociology and, and moved to Los Angeles hoping to work in the entertainment industry. And that's really when I got into the film history. Is you know the Hollywood Collector Show was going on and I would see you know Gordon Scott and Woody Strode and all these guys out there signing and. And I felt like, you know, I, although I, I love the books, I love the, the stories of the books, I'm here in Hollywood. Uh, somebody needs to tell these guys stories and, and, and ladies' stories. And so I set out on this, uh, you know, uh, quest to interview all the living Tarzan and Jane actors and, and uh, research the films and find out things that maybe some people didn't know because there had been a couple of really good Tarzan books. Um, uh, Tarzan of the Movies by Gabe Esso, and uh, Kings of the Jungle by Dave Fury. And uh, so that was my challenge, was to uncover film tidbits and things that these two uh, giants in the field had not uh, covered. You obviously are in a field which is about rigorous physical action, a lot of outdoors, celebrating nature, the jungle. Uh, uh, would you consider yourself an outdoors person? I mean, are you a city boy? No, I grew up uh, in a town in Mississippi, small town in Mississippi. With a, at that time, it had about twelve thousand people, and it was a university town. So in the university years, it would swell up to about twenty-five thousand. Uh, four uh, stoplights on the main part of Main Street, uh, but there was a little bookstore, and it had those Burroughs books. And my dad, uh, you know, who's an optometrist by profession, but we had cattle. Uh, he he raised cattle, so I grew up out in the country with you know, cattle and my mom raised exotic fowl and I was a country kid. And uh, today I kind of scratched that itch by, by hiking up in the mountains. Um, I like to go up in Angeles uh, at high altitude and, and do altitude hikes uh, every month and also in the Santa Monica mountains. So I, I do try to get some outdoor time to decompress and uh, grew up swinging from vines and pretending I was Tarzan and, and doing all that fun stuff. <laughs> That's great. I mean, I, um, I wasn't in the military at all, but I was fascinated by military films. And I think while you were swinging from vines, I was uh, pretending I was a desert rat or a battered bastard of Bastogne. Uh -huh. um, it's interesting. Um, the first movie I worked on in Hollywood, the first studio movie, I was a publicist and um, I had been working in an agency and I got a call from a friend of mine who had become head of publicity for MGM, and she hired me in 1981 to write the press kit for the Bo Derek Tarzan movie. 
Wow. <laughs> that was, how was that experience? Well, I had to go down to the studio and interview Bo Derek. Not, not such a bad assignment, actually. No, uh, no. They, they apparently had shot the movie in Sri Lanka and had fired their publicist for some reason. I'm not quite sure why. But I ended up interviewing both uh, Bo Derek and then Miles O'Keefe, who played Tarzan. Mm-hmm. And I think, as I recall, and I, I haven't seen the movie since, but I, I recall it was more of a Jane movie than a Tarzan movie. What's your What's your memory of that? Yes, that was an interesting one because, uh, as you know, they sort of lose, used a loophole in the contract. Bo blew up after ten, and the world was her oyster. You know, everybody wanted her, and she and John wanted to do a Tarzan movie from Jane's perspective. And they announced this in the press. They were going to, I think it was going to be called uh, Me Jane or something like that. And as it turned out, they found out that, you know, the Tarzan rights are, are protected and controlled. But MGM had remake rights on Tarzan the Ape Man. They'd already remade it once in 1959 with Denny Miller. So they did not have to go through the Burroughs estate to make this film. And the Burroughs estate was not happy with that. Uh, so they gave Bo and, and, and John... Uh, leeway to make their film and i don't think the studio was happy with what turned out you know it seemed like everybody was fighting everybody the burroughs family was fighting to stop it and get the nudity taken out because they wanted it to be a more family-friendly franchise and the derricks were fighting the studio to keep the nudity and more in and the studio wanted the most commercial product with the widest audience and so it was sort of a three-way shooting match and uh the burroughs people and the derricks kind of came to the same conclusion we'll just take the tarzan name off and let them release their jungle movie and they can do whatever they want but mgm said no 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 this is tarzan is a valuable name brand and tarzan is going to sell tickets and sure enough you know that movie set a lot of box office records for mgm so uh it was an interesting time and of course i was in high school and uh i think i my mother probably told me i was not going to get to see that tarzan movie in the theater i had to wait for hbo <laughs> And when I was in college, on, uh, to see it on HBO, but um, well, yeah, you know, when I, I started researching, you, you see just this knockdown, dragout fight they had over that Tarzan movie. It's, you know, just another one of the interesting. A lot of these movies have very interesting history behind. Them. Oh, sure. Well, part of the reason I wanted to talk with you because uh, you know you, you're the Tarzan expert and I'm the James Bond expert, and I think that one thing's true of both franchises is they've survived multiple leading men uh, over the years. And I think that both series, at their very heart, are family series. I mean, you know, you Bond movies get very sexy at times, but you still can take your eight-year-old and your grandmother to see a Bond movie, and nobody's really offended. And, you know, there's no nudity and there's no blasphemy. I think Tarzan is the same way. I, I have to say that... Um, I grew up a movie kid, you know, I, I lived across the street from the theater for six years from the ages of six to 11. And uh, I went to the movies a lot and I watched a lot of movies on television back in the late 50s and the 60s. They were running movies at all hours, uh, certainly a lot at late night, but there was also the, the four o'clock movie on CBS and there was a six o'clock movie on ABC. And I think my first exposure, I'm thinking back, I think probably television and probably Johnny Weissmuller. I would think a lot of people of our age group or younger, uh, actually you're younger than I am, I probably would say most baby boomers started watching Tarzan with Weissmuller. Would you agree? Yeah, those movies played in very high rotation. You know, looking back through um, 
the LA, you know, I, I do research on the films and, and they crop up a lot or cropped up a lot in the 70s and 80s even on, on the cable channels, local cable. And the local reviewers in the LA Weekly and the other papers would always recommend them. So they, they were very popular and very um, well regarded, I would say, um, as, as classics. I had a bit of a different situation in, in rural Mississippi. We had three TV channels out in the country. Um, we had uh, ABC, CBS, and PBS. We didn't even get NBC. So, you know, occasionally when I was at a friend's house, I would see Tarzan, the Ron Ely in syndication. And like I said, I, I saw some of the other movies when I was smaller, but I don't believe I saw a Johnny Weissmuller movie until I was a senior in high school. One of the channels started running it. it seemed like every other Saturday night or every fourth Saturday night, uh, the midnight movie was Tarzan the Ape Man. So I saw it about four times in a row. But uh, yeah, I didn't have I didn't have access to the Tarzan movies like you city folk did. Well, to me, Tarzan is perfect Saturday afternoon viewing. I mean, to me, you know, as a kid growing up, um, Saturdays were obviously very precious because it was not a school day and you could sleep in. And then I remember there were a lot of syndicated channels at the time that uh, did uh, you know local channels that did action movies and I I just uh, I love Weissmuller. Weissmuller is an interesting character because from what I've gathered over the years, he played it the the way the character was played for the MGM movies. I, I guess they were all MGM movies. Is that they did not portray him as Burroughs had written them. Correct. Uh, no, we can get into that a little deeper. I, I think the sort of the spirit was there. He had this sort of savage virality. He was a guy that you really could picture being dangerous. So I think that was the similarity, um, although sort of the basics of Tarzan's bio, uh, bio were certainly different from the books. He was uh, multilingual and went to England, reclaimed his, his title as Lord Greystoke and everything in the book. So he's much more fleshed out and um, worldly and versatile char character in the books. What was, uh, in that you studied Burroughs and his, um, his inspirations, what, what, what brought him to write the Tarzan books? What was, what was his inspiration? He would say the wolf at the door of poverty. <laughs> you know, he was always very self-effacing and said he wrote to feed his family. Um, and he was very canny about Tarzan. He would never really pin down what his, his, sources were. Uh, he did say Romulus and Remus, um, suckling on the she-wolf, being raised by a she-wolf. Uh, Burroughs was very steeped in the classics. As a, as a child, he had studied Greek and Latin and, and read the classics. And I think that's why he was such a great storyteller. Was It sort of came naturally for him, the, the epic form, you know, with the hero and, uh, you know, what we call now the hero's journey and, and so forth. So uh, he was accused of, of uh, you know, poaching from uh, Rudyard Kipling, he never really, uh, he, I, I guess he sort of acknowledged that, but never really said that Tarzan was based on that. He really went back to uh, Romulus and Remus as, as the source, as the inspiration. That's interesting. Um, the I think that the Tarzan stories for film are such natural stories because you've got all the elements. You've got the classic hero, uh, underdog, you've got the female consort uh, uh, who, who, and there's obviously the love affair and then eventually you get boy uh, you've got the mystery of the jungle I have to say and we'll talk later about the color color uh, Tarzan movies but you know black and white back in the 30s and 40s there was a certain atmosphere 
about those films that even though you, I mean, today we know they were shot locally in California, Southern California. Um, they just had a great deal of atmosphere. Yes. Yeah, I would agree. And, um, you know, MGM, of course, had all kinds of money and, and had access to the finest, uh, you know, studio lots and the personnel in the world. And so they were big budget. But even when Saul Lesser took them over to RKO, I find there's a certain charm to the Weissmullers and the Barkers, especially the Lost Race ones, you know, Tarzan and the Amazons, Tarzan and the Leopard Woman, uh, you know, Tarzan and the Lost Valley of Calandria and Tarzan Triumphs and, and the Mermaids, you know, down in, in Acapulco. Yeah, there was just a charm to them, these Lost Races. It really was just this idyllic fantasy. Oh, sure. Um, now, tell me, I didn't realize that uh, the Tarzan, Weissmuller Tarzan series migrated away from MGM, so they went to RKO. Yes, uh, Saul Lesser was an independent producer and had started out in the days his father ran a Nickelodeon. And that's how he got his start is, is shooting films for the Nickelodeon up in San Francisco. And, and so he was this independent producer who came along and really knew how to strip it down to the core elements that would, you know, increase box office appeal. You know, even back then, the Tarzan films, you know, Lesser said made 75% of their box office overseas. He said he kept Tarzan, you know, Tarzan's dialogue sparse and minimal and, and monosyllabic because, you know, that way you didn't have to translate the grunts and the cries. So Lesser really knew. And, of course, there are all the beautiful ladies, the, the Amazons, as I mentioned before, and the mermaids. He always had uh, a lot of uh, attractive, sexy women in the films that, uh, you know, were distracting Tarzan from Jane. But, uh, yeah, they, they, the, the series' popularity continued, the worldwide popularity, even after MGM, sort of. And, and, and Lesser, saw Lesser, continued with sort of MGM formula, you know, Tarzan and Jane in the treehouse. They'd never really been married. They had adopted the son named Foy. And so he really kept the same formula. It wasn't until he started to sort of break away in 1955. And then when Cy Weintraub took over the franchise, that's when, you know, it really, he really updated. So, so MGM had the rights originally to the Burroughs books and they sold them to RKO. Is that the way it worked? They just let it go after, you know, because World War II came along and they, MGM had lost their European market and they were kind of downsizing and, and Tarzan was such a big international hit. Uh, they just let the rights go. And MGM, you know, they did not have, I believe they at times had three picture deals, but they sort of played the Tarzan series one picture at a time. They would produce one and see how it did. And then they, okay, well, we'll do another one. And that's why a couple of other Tarzan movies crept in there. Saw Lesser slipped in in between, you know, contracts and did uh, Tarzan the Fearless with Buster Crab that came out in 1933 uh, in between the first two uh, MGM films, and then in between the, uh, the uh, let me think, third and fourth films, he shot uh, Tarzan's Revenge with Glenn Morris. So Saul mm. Lesser was waiting in the wings, and, and, uh, and of course, Burroughs tried to, to uh, become a film producer with the Herman Bricks uh, movie, The New Adventures of Tarzan, which was a serial, but also a feature, just like the Buster Crab one. As I recall from reading one of the earlier Tarzan books, um, Elmo Lincoln, first Tarzan? Yes, 1918. And, well, <laughs> you know how, how nitpicky uh, we film historians can be. Uh, the first one truly was, was uh, Stellan Windrow, who was a Chicago athlete. He was about 6'4 and uh, had just graduated from, I want to say, from the University of Chicago. 
and uh, was big in row and crew and track and field. And, and um, so he was initially cast and they went to Morgan City and they shot him running around in the trees. Well, he got drafted for World War One. This is August of 1917. And they brought Elmo in because they, I believe they had already auditioned Elmo and Elmo was playing the strong man. So he took over and they paid Windrow, I believe they paid him $1,000 to take his name out of it, the credits entirely to totally disassociate himself from the film. And, um, but the arboreal sequences, some of them are Windrow who had, you know, a different physique from Elmo. So, but Elmo was the one that was billed and, and he truly, uh, you know, inhabited the role, came back for a sequel and then did a serial. So there were eight silent films and Elmo was in three of them. And I take it you've seen these. Yes, three of them are lost. The Revenge of Tarzan with uh, Gene Poller, who was a fireman. And I think a, a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, uh, humor has been poked at Gene because I, Burroughs himself said, you know, as an actor, Gene was a great fireman. Uh, he gets kind of a bad rap, but he was, you know, 6'2", big brawny guy, and he was a champion in the New York annual New York City Fireman Police uh, athletic contests. He was a, uh, you know, always won the hundred yard dash. He won the handball contest. He, won, he was a, a, you know, won the crew contest, the rowing. So he was a well-renowned New York athlete when he was cast. Uh, his film is lost. And um, then uh, Tarzan the Mighty with Frank Merrill, who's a champion gymnast, his film is lost. And then The Romance of Tarzan, which was the second film with Elmo Lincoln, uh, is also lost. Well, well, hopefully, maybe it'll surface someday. They always send Something always happens with these shows. Um, Weissmuller, as I recall, was an athlete in the 32 Olympics. Is that accurate? Uh, he was in, no, he was in the 24 and 28. 24 and 28. And he was a swimmer, right? Yes, champion swimmer. So the, when, when Tarzan's swimming in the Weissmuller movies, that's, that's Johnny. Yeah, they, I, you know, Tarzan was not that aquatic in the books. <laughs> They, they structured a lot of that. And, and, you know, there was just a romance with aquaticism in, in the films back then. And, you know, Eleanor Holm, you know, she was a champion swimmer and she did a little swimming bit. And of course they got, uh, uh, you know, Jane had a, a body double in Tarzan's Mate. They did the underwater ballet with, with Maureen O'Sullivan's double, um, uh, Jacqueline McKim. So- do you, do you have a favorite of the Weissmillers? Of the films? Mm -hmm. Definitely Tarzan and his mate. Um, because the first Tarzan the Ape Man is is got a lot of action, and that came out in '32, and then remember, of course, in 1933, King Kong came out, and that right. raised the bar. You know, when they saw what happened with King Kong, you know, the MGM knew well we have to throw everything in this. So, uh, you know, they called Tarzan and his mate. It was like the Circus Maximus. There is so much, uh, you know, and it was it was a lot of camera trickery, but so much just uh, violence and, and uh, bloodshed and animals attacking animals and animals attacking people and, and natives attacking and, people. And as I recall, it's always an amalgam of, uh, of footage shot in LA of the principals and then eventually they would match that with footage that was shot by newsreel crews in Africa, correct? Yes, and they had a lot of animal footage from Trader Horn. Remember Woody Van Dyke went over there in 1927, it was the biggest safari except for the Queen of England at the time, or Prince Edward. I think Prince Edward is the only one who ever had at that point done a bigger safari. And um, so they were over there for like 10 months shooting footage and they shot a couple of million feet of film, uh, you know, did Trader Horn. And that was, again, the, a lot of the film, the footage 
this, the story didn't sync up, so they had to reshoot, do a lot of reshooting here in LA. But uh, they had all this animal footage and all this, uh, you know, and so that's why Irving Thalberg at MGM said, uh, let's make another jungle picture. We've got all this footage. And, uh, you know, he commissioned Steve, uh, Samuel Marks, the story editor, to go after and get Tarzan. And he did. The, um, I was just going to say, <laughs> it just went out of my head. Um, I, I, I've always enjoyed the World War II themed Tarzan movies because, again, the atmosphere, again, you feel, oh, I know what I was going to ask you. I mean, we, I, I believe a lot of the footage uh, of the show was shot at the Arboretum out in, San, in, in Arcadia. Is that true? The later, the later Saw Lessers. Um, later Saw Lessers, okay. MGM had their own uh, backlot, jungle, and elaborate treehouse and everything. And MGM would go on location. They went to Lake Sherwood up in Ventura County. Right. Which is no longer a lake. They went to uh, Malibu Creek State Park. And so they would, would go around. But um, Saul Lesser RKO also had a backlot, but it just wasn't, probably wasn't up to par with what Saul Lesser wanted to sort of match MGM. So Saul Lesser, MGM had gone out to, to what was then Lucky Baldwin's estate in 1936 for Tarzan Escapes. But uh, at the time, after it became, you know, uh, precursor to the Arboretum. That's when Saul Lesser started going out there pretty regularly for his RKO films. How many uh, Tarzan movies did Weissmiller make? Twelve. He made twelve. Wow. Um, I started, um, when I started going to the movies in the late 50s, uh, you know, Saturday morning matinees, two features, they started to um, feature the the Gordon Scott Tarzans, and we can talk about those in a second. But obviously, after what, what year did uh, Weissmiller make his last one? That was Tarzan and the Mermaids, nineteen forty-eight, and he so, went segued right into Jungle Jim, made a Jungle Jim film that same year. So between forty-eight and uh, the Gordon Scotts, I assume there were other Tarzans. Lex Barker. Lex shot uh, five films, uh, five years in a row. He took over in 49, 50, 51, 52, 53. And so five, five uh, years in a row, there was a Lex Barker film. Uh, Saul Lesser took Lex to Africa and shot some uh, location footage, which Johnny Weissmuller never had that luxury, but, but Lex had location footage shot. And Saul Lesser went back with Gordon Scott and shot some more location footage. And the Lex Barkers started to appear in color? No, the first, uh, the Lex, the five Lex Barkers are all black and white, and the first Gordon Scott. Tarzan and the Lost Safari in 1957 was the first color. It was Gordon Scott's second Tarzan film. Got it. Now, I, I have to tell you that I'm a big Gordon Scott fan. In fact, I would argue, and I am not, certainly not the expert like you are, but I would say that 59's Tarzan's Greatest Adventure is, is maybe one of the best in the series. What do you think? Well, you're in good company. A lot of Tarzan fans would agree with you. Um, I would agree. I would put it in my top five. You know, it's it's for me. I I find you know charm and, and I love them all. But I would say that that my top five would be the the five with the best production values and you know the best uh, um, budgets and so forth. So Tarzan, uh, Tarzan's Greatest Adventure, and Tarzan Magnificent are cited by many people as the top two, with the first two Weissmullers. And then uh, people fight over the what, what 
but takes uh, the fifth place in the top five. Which, which one is yours? Um, hard to say. I probably uh, either Disney or um, Greystoke, the first half of Greystoke, mind you. I love the first half of Greystoke, but, you know, the, the English sequences just, uh, it, it didn't do it for me. Got it. Got it. Well, getting back to Gordon Scott, tell me a little bit about his background, because he um, he was, well, first of all, he seems to be a little closer to Burroughs' view of Tarzan, although he doesn't go to England or anything like that. But um, what, what, uh, tell us a little bit about where Gordon Scott came from. You know, Gordon is just one of those Hollywood stories, those classic Hollywood stories. He had this background that just seemed to cover everything. He had been in the military and worked as a fireman and an ax man and uh, a cowboy on his, his uh, extended family's ranch. And he had this resume that had all these physical feats of strength. And then he, he was an early bodybuilder, got into bodybuilding and was in Las Vegas working as a lifeguard. Uh, the, the pool had, uh, I believe it was the Riviera, one of the casinos had hired him to sort of uh, bring the clientele into the pool scene and he was discovered there and brought to Hollywood and you know he was just one of those guys who just looked great on camera he had had it all he had uh, you know a good look he had a good physique he, his voice was was great for the films his persona the way he carried himself so he was just an all-around yeah just great in the role oh yeah well I also uh, I, particularly in Greatest Adventure he's surrounded by some terrific actors including a relatively unknown Sean Connery. Yes, yes. Sean Connery, uh, uh, Anthony Quayle, um, uh, the British actor Niall McGuinness, who played Zeus and Jason and the Argonauts. Uh, uh, then uh, I always remember Al Mulock, and Al Mulock, uh, who shows up uh, in uh, spaghetti westerns in the 60s. He was in that movie. Um, yeah, that, that movie plays and plays, and I, whenever I want to get a Tarzan fix, I put that on. And I also liked his relationship with the girl in that. Uh, who played his female, uh, the one he's uh, chasing through the jungle with? Is that, was that Betty St. John, or is that someone else? That's Sarah Shane. And, Sarah you know, Shane. she didn't make a lot of films and, and didn't play lead in a lot. So uh, she moved on shortly after that. And, uh, yeah, she was great in the role. Yeah, and you know uh, the color photography is so gorgeous, and I think that's where the Tarzan movies, at least for my money, start to, you know, become even more impressive. I mean, not to say that the Weissmullers aren't a lot of fun, and uh, it's it's just um, it's just amazing to get get in Africa now, and you find what was um, what was Tarzan's greatest adventure that was shot entirely in Africa, correct? No, there some of it. They again, they had had uh, some location footage, and they took the actors on location. The part, for example, where Angie's plane is crashed into the river and and Tarzan has to rescue that was shot on a sound soundstage in England. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I just found that out researching my book. I had assumed all along, like you. I mean, because the, certainly the production value is on the screen. I thought it was all shot in uh, Africa, but there were set pieces shot in England. I think it does bear note that. Um, the Tarzan series had changed directors, uh, producers at this point. Um, the Tarzan, the, the Tarzan's Greatest Adventure, was Cy Weintraub's first film. He was this young uh, TV executive, hotshot, who was about 35 years old, and he paid uh, three million dollars to Saul Lesser to buy him out. 
and he wanted to take the Tarzan films in a little bit more mature uh, direction. And uh, Tarzan's Greatest Adventure and Tarzan Magnificent are basically Westerns. Um, you know, that was the big formula on TV and it's, it's the lone hero who has to hunt down the bad guy or gang of bad guys, he's outnumbered. And he's saddled with this, uh, you know, in Tarzan the Magnificent, this disparate group of bickering travelers, you know, that are, are getting into remember. trouble and causing him trouble. And, and he's trying to, to get the, the criminal, played by Jock Mahoney, to the authorities. And the criminal's uh, family are, are bedeviling them at every step. So oh, yeah. and those isn't first two were Westerns. John Carradine played the uh, Patriarch, as I recall. Yes. Uh, I think uh, Coy Banton was the, was the Mahoney character. Yeah, and uh, that was based on, you know, the Clantons, the Western uh, gang, the Clantons. Oh, that's so funny. I, I never realized. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And then we, we see Al Mulock again. I think he's also returns uh, to play one of the family. And I think, um, is it Glenn Corbett is um, one of the brothers? Oh, uh, you're yeah. testing my memory now. Yeah, <laughs> well, that I'm, fourth brother. That I, fourth, I can't remember. It's a dark-haired man. actor. But yeah, no, that was good. And then... Um, you know, Carradine, uh, so interesting. I actually worked on a Showtime original movie and um, Nicholas Rogue was directing and it turned out Nicholas Rogue was the assistant director on Greatest Adventure. Yes. And then, and then I got a chance to work with David Carradine on a, on a movie called My Suicide, which is currently on Netflix. And we got a chance to talk a little bit about his father. And I, I immediately mentioned uh, Tarzan the Magnificent and he, he remembered it, uh, his dad's film. Of course, Carradine has like 500 film credits. I mean, he's been in everything. Yes. Um, yes. So after Scott finishes his run, who's the next Tarzan? Well, Weintraub, I think it was sort of a, a perfect um, situation for, for Jock Mahoney. Jock had been offered it before and had declined it or had, had screen tested before and didn't come up with the role. And um, so Jack was a stunt man and, and had fought Gordon and he was just sort of in the right place at the right time. And he was a little older. He was in his early forties. And uh, so he did too. And Carson went from a Western to sort of this international adventure, you know, sort of the, the pre James Bond uh, that Tarzan went to Thailand and, and did it as a troubleshooter, international troubleshooter. And he went to India. So you had the eight man sort of, and when he, he, parachutes in you know and i think it's uh tarzan goes to india he parachutes in and he has to save the maharaja's elephants and um you know lead the elephants to safety so jock wound up with the role and you know in the end it nearly killed him because he got dysentery and, and got really sick on tarzan's three challenges oh god and then that's uh then of course starting in the 60s don't we get the ron ely series or is that 70s that was 60s but we have one more tarzan to go Oh, uh, following Jock Mahoney, Mike Henry took the role. All right, of course. And Mike Henry was uh, was um, a player for the L.A. Rams, linebacker for the L.A. Rams. He had grown up in a, a Hollywood family. His his family were film editors, and so he went to uh, USC. Was a standout at USC. Got drafted. And went to Pittsburgh. He asked uh, the coach there if he could, you know, moonlight as an actor. <laughs> And the coach didn't really want him flying back and forth to L.A., so he, he traded him to the Rams, and the Rams said, okay, you can can uh, do your stuff on the side, and, and uh, you know, that's how he and, Cy, he and Cy Weintraub hooked up. And uh, Cy took him to uh, Mexico. They were going to shoot a trilogy, 
and they sort of ran afoul of the Mexican authorities. The Mexican authorities tried to confiscate their film and they sneaked out of Mexico down to Brazil and shot the next two. And Mike was supposed to be the lead in the TV series, but he, again, incurred a lot of injuries, dysentery and sickness. Uh, he had a really, really bad chimp bite. The chimp bit him on the chin and he got monkey fever and he was sidelined for a couple of weeks and delirious. So he had had enough of tourism. And uh, that's when they brought Ron Ely in to shoot the series, which started shooting in Brazil right around the time they were finishing up the Mike Henrys. Funny you talk about the chimpanzees. I always think of the chimpanzees being a lot of fun. You know, Cheetah's kind of a, a star in his own way, and yet chimps can be very dangerous. Yeah, that's, you know, back then, and, and you look back at the, um, you know, the little news briefs that were released with the film, and, and today the cheetah humor, to me, doesn't play as well, you know, because you know that the, the chimps don't really want to be there, and they're being forced to perform, and it, the humor's a little hackneyed, but back then, you know, cheetah was a gold mine of publicity. Everyone, you know, he was always doing stuff, and they were always releasing little news bits to the newspapers, and um so Cheetah was, you know, a big uh, part of certainly the Weissmuller and Barker films. Uh, Cy Weintraub was sort of phasing him out or her out. Uh, Cheetah was played by a lot of different chimps, male and female. Yeah, as I recall in Greatest Adventure, he leaves che Cheetah home. Yes, yes. And <laughs> that was because they, they shot, that was some of the footage they shot in Africa and they got to Africa and Cheetah was terrified. Cheetah did not want to leave its crate you know, because of all the sounds and smells and so forth. So they just uh, dispensed with Cheetah. The, um, the movie that certainly captures another new generation of Tarzan fans has to be the Disney Tarzan. Yes. And, um, you know, the Disney just, again, and I, you know, a lot of purists, a lot of Burroughs purists uh, can take issue with, with things Disney did, but uh, I'm glad they did it because there were, what, 10 or 11 films in the Disney Renaissance when Disney put, you know, every bit of technological expertise, and just like MGM in the golden days, they threw everything they had at that film, technologically, personnel-wise, and, uh, you know, I'm glad that Disney made this film when they were at their peak of, you know, 2D animation in the Renaissance. I think they also benefited strongly from some wonderful Phil Collins songs. Yes. I mean, it was just a perfect, uh, again, perfect elements because people, you know, were questioning why Phil Collins. Well, he's a drummer. He's a percussionist here in the jungle. So he's going to have <laughs> the beat and the rhythm, you know, and, and uh, then people are like, oh, okay, I get it. So uh, the, the rights to Tarzan currently stand with who? Are you are you getting a background noise? Oh, I I, I don't know. Did you miss my question? Uh, you just uh, you were asking where do the rights stand? Yes, that's what I was asking. Okay. Uh, right now, I don't believe anyone has the rights. Warner Brothers had them for uh, the Legend of Tarzan with Alexander Skarsgård. Uh, they did not renew. Um, and I was that uh, Tracy. Was that movie a success? It was right on the bubble, you know, not enough of a success to get uh, a sequel, I see. but it uh, certainly, I think, uh, was a success. Most of these movies are going to show a profit, even, you know, the John Carter, which was another burst film. They're eventually going to turn a profit on cable and, uh, you know, the various streaming services because they're family friendly and uh, families can watch them in the box office. 
supposedly it had about a $180 million budget and made uh, maybe $356, $357 million. So it roughly doubled its budget, but it needed a little bit more to be enough of a moneymaker for a sequel. Right, right, exactly. Did you want me to comment on that? Uh, uh, the question of whether the Tarzan books are in public domain, is that true? Uh, roughly about half of Burroughs' output is in the public domain in the United States. Most of his works are in the public domain in the European Union. Um, you know, they have slightly different laws. Our, our laws are a little more protective. In 1913, Edgar Rice Burroughs trademarked Tarzan. And uh, Tarzan's always had strong trademark protection and, and uh, between that and the copyright, there, there were a few bootleg Tarzans back in the 60s that were always shut down. Um, the situation is different now. And, you know, that remains a question. Would a studio produce a Tarzan film based on the novels uh, without the Burroughs estate's input? Um, because Tarzan's trademarked, they would need the, the estate to release toys and games and, and ancillary marketing. So the ancillary marketing is still wrapped up in trademark. The actual stories themselves are going into public domain. When Burroughs first started to get his books out, were they illustrated? Yes. Well, they, you know, they originated as pulp magazine stories. Oh, they did. Okay. And uh, the very first one, Tarzan of the Apes, was uh, he sent it in. That was his third story. Uh, it, maybe it would do well to backtrack a little bit. He was 36 years old, and he had tried every profession. He was from a, a fairly well-to-do family, and he had crisscrossed the country and been a cowboy and a gold miner and a shopkeeper and was in the cavalry. And you name it, he had tried it as a profession policeman. I believe he added it up and he had had 17 failed professions or something. So he was flipping through the pulp magazines one day and said, hey, I can do as well or better than these guys. And he wrote half of a story that became Princess of Mars and sent it off to the editor. And the editor said, hey, this is pretty good. You know, send me the rest. And if I like it, I'll buy it. And he finished it and sent it and he bought it. And that became a Princess of Mars. But then the editor for the second one said, why don't you do something like Ivanhoe? So Burroughs did a, a um, you know, he did a uh, medieval historical romance, and then the editor turned around and didn't buy it. So Burroughs was one for two, you know, <laughs> and he said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it one more shot, and I'm going to, uh, I, I have this, you know, crackerjack idea, I'm going to put it on paper. He wrote Tarzan of the Apes, and he sent it in. The editor loved it, they bought it, they ran it complete in one issue, they didn't serialize it, the and that issue sold out. And it the project that they the, the project that they didn't buy the medieval one does that exist? Yes, it was eventually published. What Burroughs did was after Tarzan of the Apes, um, he went back to the publisher and they were waffling on the sequel, The Return of Tarzan. So he went to their competitor, New Story Magazine, and they wanted The Return of Tarzan. Tarzan by then was a phenomenon. Tarzan was being reprinted in newspapers. You know, the newspapers were not much and such. So he sold the return of Tarzan to their competitors on the condition that they publish his, his medieval tale, which was The Outlaw of Torn. And um, The Outlaw of Torn, a lot of Burroughs fans think it's a very solid tale and they like it. And uh, it's been published in hardback and paperback. So it's a, it's a popular story. It sounds kind of Robin Hood-like. Yeah, it's a, well, it's about a uh, young nobleman who is kidnapped from his, his father and, and uh, raised as a swordsman and an outlaw. 
and so he is sort of terrorizing the country and, and robbing from the rich and, and plaguing the royal, you know, the royal family and everything. And it turns out that he's a lost uh, royal at the end. So, um, yeah, it's a good, good tale. Um, you know, it's I, I prefer Burroughs' more fantastic fiction. You know, his his Tarzan stuff, his Moore stuff, but it's it's certainly a, I've read it num- a number of times. And, and it's now, good being being steeped in Burroughs as you are. What was your opinion of the John Carter movie? Um, <laughs> I, I think like a lot of lot of Tarzan fans, uh, it was mixed. Um, the first time I saw it, I felt like they had deviated a lot. I expected it to be closer to the books, and I was a little surprised how much they deviated. Um, you know, just because a lot of the characters were there, the basic premise was there from the books, uh, a lot of the uh, basic stuff. I think it was a little overly ambitious because it was planned as a trilogy. And so they front loaded a lot of the stuff that was supposed to pay off in the second or third film. And um, those didn't happen. So I would have liked it if they had front loaded a little bit less of the mythology and maybe had a couple of good love scenes with, with uh, John Carter and Deja so you can really sort of see them falling in love. Um, some of the set pieces were just great. Like when he's with the green men, that was straight out of the book and the little baby green men. and Wula, the uh, Martian dog, and battling the Warhoon board. Um, so yeah, there were scenes that were just to me right out of the books. But um, I, I wish it had, had uh, the entire movie had stayed a little closer to the books. But I, 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 I'm glad that it was um, such high budget and high production values. You know, they certainly you, you can't fault them for skimping on quality or or uh, anything like that. And well, it's, um, it's interesting because I've been binge watching Friday Night Lights, uh-huh. uh, which is I've become a big fan of. And certainly that's the series that broke Taylor Kitsch. And I can see why the studio wanted Taylor because he had some great presence. I, I, um, I, I must say that I didn't know much about the background of the film. So I think I, I probably didn't see it at the time because I'd heard not great things about it. But I'll, I'll go back and revisit it. Yeah. Yeah, it got a bad knock, and so did Legend of Tarzan. They both got a bad rap in the press, and um, you know, it seemed like the press had the knives out for both movies. And and who knows what might have been if uh, you know they had if the the audience had been allowed to uh, you know make their own um, judgment before the press really went after these films. Well, Tracy, you, cer- you certainly know your field. Uh, what are you working on these days? Well, I'm still doing research. I'm always researching. I'm, one interesting thing is, is one area of curiosity, you know, in our times is what was the experience of the extras who played natives in the Tarzan movies? So I've been researching the old um, African-American film, uh, newspapers, uh, the Los Angeles Sentinel and the California Eagle. And, and uh, you know, they reported a lot of film news and they would profile actors that were not profiled by the segregated press. So that's a source of fascination to me. I've been going through the old Los Angeles Times archives also. So I'm really going back through a lot of the newspaper archives in our library system. And Sounds uh, like there's another book in the wind there. Oh, several books probably. And then I also did a research with a female writer named Lisa Gordon-Wither on a book that uh, we're trying to get out soon. COVID is, of course, COVID is, has totally upended the, the publishing industry. And it's called Ed's LA Empire. Um, you know, people may know Edgar Rice Burroughs went by the name of Ed. He preferred people call him Ed. Uh, he didn't really care for the name Edgar. He thought it was, in his his words, a silly ass name for a boy. 
<laughs> so he liked people to call me Ed. So it's Ed's LA Empire is about the founding of the, the uh, city of Tarzana on Burroughs Ranch and, uh, you know, his impact on Southern California and its impact on him and his films and his art. And uh, it will be the first nonfiction by, uh, about Burroughs by a female writer, first, first major work. And I was the researcher and helped pull together the photos and, and gave her my notes. And um, so, yeah, I think that'll be a really special book when it comes out. Fabulous, fabulous. Well, this has been so pleasant and uh, so nice to meet you and hear about your own background. And you're in a great field. Uh, I feel a kinship with you because of my work with the James Bond world. Um, I wish you a lot of luck with everything you do. Thank you. Thank you. And I will uh, follow, continue to follow your work, and I hope you will follow mine. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. And everybody, uh, this has been another episode of Saturday Night at the Movies. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we're going to start uh, doing these on a weekly basis, uh, and we hope to get, we really get deep into film history because we feel that there's a lot of unexplored territory and a lot of people who need to talk about what they're doing to preserve our rich legacy of films. Thank you, everybody, and stay safe out there.